Hello, welcome back to Anomalous Readings. I'm Nora, I'm joined by Jackson. Hello, it's Anomalous Readings, episode five, 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 six, no, five, four? It's not, it's not 555, I know that's not true. It's episode five, right? I, uh, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. Oh, well, I mean, we started in January, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. Um, it will not surprise you to learn that I've purchased more books. <laughs> what have you purchased? We've got um, books two and four of the Deathgate Cycle by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Fuck book um, three. Well, or that's what we could find. Okay. Um, Autumn and I read uh, the first Dragonlance book by the same authors. Uh, Dragons of Autumn Twilight. If you're interested in hearing us talk about it, you can go to uh, the Export Audio... <coughs> mm. Yes. You can go to the Export Audio <laughs> Patreon, where for $5 you'll gain access to our uh, special episode of... Uh, what's it? Ours Arcanum. That's what it's called. Yeah. Um, we also watched the movie. There's the cartoon film. Um, beyond that, I picked up, uh, what is it? The Litany of Shreve, I think it's called. It's just a, <laughs> some, some fantasy book that I thought looks cool. And, um, David Graeber's, uh, most recent posthumous book. I'm um, glad he's keeping busy after he's died. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you know. I think it's called Pirate Enlightenment. Yes, <laughs> it's about pirates. Um, and uh, I picked up A Princess of Mars but I already had that on audiobook um, other things I've read this month not a whole lot I've played like 120 hours of Skyrim month, <laughs> 120 hours of Skyrim? yeah 120 hours of Skyrim? it was 100 before we recorded Journal when did you record Journal? wait no that's two weeks ago now. Yeah, it was a hundred before we recorded Journal two weeks ago. So you've played so much Skyrim. I'm on Oblivion right now, but I played a lot of Skyrim. Your Todd mode. Yeah, in Todd we trust. Um, yeah, I've I've only played about ten hours of any Elder Scrolls games in total in my entire life. So. Hmm. Okay. Bought Skyrim in 2012 and played a bit of it on my Xbox that I had also just bought a new one, um, but didn't get that far. Uh, and then, like, when the anniversary edition just came out, I played a little bit, but I didn't, didn't like, stick with it. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I have never, like, dove into Skyrim. People say, like, oh, Skyrim just eats time. You go, you see that mountain, you can go there. Not for me. It's fine. <laughs> I've got a million games. Probably if I had bought it, like, at launch the year before 2011 that's exactly the time i would have played way too much skyrim um but i was instead playing way too much of a different bad game la noir or something i'm trying to work out the timeline there that checks out i did play all of la noir in 2011 uh, on christmas day so you know i mainly use it to role play and think of my little guys doing stuff um i also just think the setting is kind of neat but um, I wouldn't describe Skyrim as having much that you would be interested in it. You'd what am I interested, interested in? in? Narrative. 
Okay. I I feel like you're sort of a narrative person. That's kind of true. Systems. That's now and now we're talking. I'm like I'm fairly sure the thing I don't I'm not interested <laughs> about Skyrim is that I just press the right trigger and go ha 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 and then everything dies in front of me. Um, but it's not a good yeah 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 if that's no. what you're into. It's not like a Devil May Cry. I'm like I'd be like oh this is terrible combat and everyone would be like shut up Jackson. You, you can that. mod that into it, but I I've seen I the mo- I've seen both I've seen the mods that turn Skyrim into Devil May Cry and I've seen the mods that turn Skyrim into Dark Souls. And the one that turns it into Dark Souls is looks better the one that turned the devil may cry is like come on what are you doing uh <laughs> but generally speaking i don't i assume turning skyrim combat into something uh more active would actually not make it better because the entire thing is you just kind of like go into caves and fight th- i wouldn't want to make the combat more involving <laughs> yeah um the times when the combat has become the most involved for me is when i'm like under leveled for a thing and i have to mm-hmm. work out how to do it but the system is kind of designed to be very smooth and like just carry you along frictionlessly yeah um, it's meant to take you from thing then you quickly c- clear a cave in like 10 minutes you find a th- like a trinket and then you're like oh what's that over there and then the cycle repeats again right so that, that, that is how skyrim has been described to me as like a thing you go into yeah and also sometimes your numbers go up a little bit Ooh, I've jumped. It, my, they stopped that after Morrowind, right? You don't just like press jump every four seconds. Uh, Oblivion has it. Oblivion, uh, okay. a little, was like, little yes. bit of a different way, but um, I know one of the Skyrim games... doesn't have <laughs> stats, just skills. Okay, so it's not like if you spend the entire game jumping, uh, your agility Nothing goes up. Yeah, your 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 jumps are fixed in Skyrim. Damn, that's fucked up. Anyway, that's I guess video games talk because I've also not read any more books. I, re- I you know we finished an eight hundred page sci fi book this last month <laughs> and this today I you know this this week I read a however many pages this one is. Um, I don't know because I read the audiobook for the first time. Uh, I like the audiobook. I quite like the audiobook of this one. Um, I'm not going to do it for every book. I think it works for some more than others, uh, but it worked very well for this book. Uh, so do we just want to go into it? Do we want to talk about the, the book we read? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, we read Sphere, the 1987 Michael Crichton novel uh, about some guys going to the bottom of the ocean where they have found... Uh, well, like the US Navy has found a spacecraft and in that spacecraft is a sphere and they stay at the bottom, bottom of the ocean and a bunch of weird things happen. Yeah, weird fish show up. Yeah, uh, the 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 book is about Norman, um, who is like a psychiatrist who like wrote a bullshit paper uh, when approached by the Carter <laughs> government about what to do if aliens ever showed up, uh, and had a bunch of like psychological recommendations about how to form a team that could work together. Um, and that team has been assembled now because they found a weird spaceship at the bottom of the ocean, uh, and they think it's aliens. But then it turns out it's not aliens. But then it turns out. It's an alien sphere inside the man-made ship that's from the future. By the way, the ship's from the future. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, But then it turns out maybe there's no aliens, because inside the sphere, uh, it starts giving people like weird... Like, a big monster shows up and starts psychically communicating. But then, like, oh no, the monster's Harry. He has the same name as one of the other guys on the... Uh, um, 
uh, on the mission. And then it turns out, oh no, it's actually got nothing to do with that because inside the sphere is the like power of imagination. If you imagine things, you make them possible. So we have to like take out the humans that are causing these like real hallucinations that are killing us, but they're like emerging from the people. Um, and then uh, every then by the, by the end of the book, all three surviving characters have all been inside the sphere and have to have a psychic battle. <laughs> Uh, over the power of imagination to get out and whether they can get to the surface or not and whether they can kill each other or not there's a whole bunch of specifics in there that we will get into as we discuss the book but they they all make it up to the surface uh and decide that humanity is not ready for the power of imagination to be so tangible uh because we just kill each other and all decide to forget the book the end but is it but is it it is well, but is it though? It is, yeah. No, because can you trust women? Oh uh, yeah, you can't really <laughs> trust women. <clears throat> one of the main things this That's one you... thing I learned from this book is that one persona is real, and two, you can't trust women. Uh, that's the main thing in the book is is like is the greatest folly of humankind our uh, propensity to like f- fall into violence and, and negative traits and then uh, war and abandon all our potential or is it the fucking women oh you can never trust them oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, they all agree to forget the sphere and use they use the stones to destroy the stones <laughs> um, and they use their power of imagination that makes everything real to imagine forgetting the sphere and in so doing they forget the sphere and like reality bends around the fact that they never went down there and all the like tapes change uh, so there's yeah. no evidence and or the, i guess the context of the text of the tapes change yeah it just like massages reality enough like a comic book retcon uh mm-hmm. to make it so they won't be like questioned for why did, it, did 10 people die down there uh uh but then there's like a line at the end that's like oh but she she looks kind of beautiful she said what, what's that mate uh i because, think it's horny isn't he uh, married also? He's totally married. He should not That be doesn't this. come up after the first like 3 chapters. No, cuz he he like one the the immediate concern of like the briefing stuff is why can't I call my wife? Yeah. And that is kind of instantly <laughs> like swept under the rug as we have to talk about um the weird computer voice. So, the only thing I knew about this book going into it was a paraphrased quote from the movie um so I thought this was about AI. I thought it was about, I, I don't want the AI to have emotions at all. I want it to not feel anything. That would be better for us. Uh, it turns out that line is about um, an extra-dimensional alien force that turns out to not be there. Yes. So I was sitting through the first like third of this book going like... Waiting for the okay, AI to show up. Where does the computer come into it? <laughs> and they do start talking to a computer. <laughs> Yes. Um, but just not in that specific way. I get exactly how this happened. Um, I'm very interested in watching this movie now. But uh, yeah, I've seen the movie, but I'd completely forgotten literally everything about it before I watched this, so... <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson is in it, so... Ah, uh, yeah. That's got my interest. Um, this book... I'm going to go out on a limb. Mm-hmm. I think it's my favorite of the books we've read on this podcast. I think Roadside Picnic. Uh, uh, Roadside, I forgot about Roadside Picnic. Roadside Picnic is really good. Roadside Picnic is better than this. Um, 
I well, think that well, I... here, here. Think. I want you to think about Horus Heresy. I want it, or the <laughs> Horus Rising. Picture that in your head. Okay, Remember yeah. that good time. Now, is Roadside Picnic better or worse than Horus Rising? Is this a trick question? No. <laughs> yes. Okay, now roadside picnic better than the fucking book where a third of it is them just like and then he killed another bug and then he killed another <laughs> spider and then he killed another bug that's like a okay. whole third of the book so picture the demolished man is the demolished man better or worse than uh roadside picnic uh roadside picnic's better but this one's closer i do really like the demolished man but that one also fucking women right like i know <laughs> i feel like this is gonna be a recurring theme <laughs> reading classic sci-fi books um, is it better or worse than Horus Rising? Which one? Are we okay? How the is the sort of working? Demo- Demolished Man is uh, better than Horus Rising, yes. Okay, so it goes in between Horus Rising and. Um, I would Roadside say this is, this is better than Horus Rising, but like I also quite I quite liked Horus Rising. This you know this has not been a bad podcast so far. I've mostly I haven't actively disliked any of the books really, other than getting kind of annoyed at some of the stuff last month. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I have forgiven Chris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, Sleep in a Sea of Stars is that better or worse than Roadside Picnic? Uh, Sleep in a Sea of Stars is at the bottom of the list. Just to skip this one. Worse than Horus? Yes. What? Okay. Yeah, because Horus still had the bit at the end where everything fell apart, uh, and like the the cool noble guy was uh, sad. I like that. Moment. I thought that one was good. I mean, yes, I I think those two are closer than the other three are bunched together, <laughs> but I do prefer Horus to Stephen Seal Stars. It, okay, so is Sphere better or worse than Roadside Picnic? Uh, worse than Roadside Picnic. Is it better or worse than The Demolished Man? It's a little worse than The Demolished Man. Is it better or worse than Horus? It's better than Horus. I told you. I already said that this was a three and two situation. I'm just going down the list. So <laughs> okay. your ranking right now is Roadside, Demolished Man, uh, Sphere, Horus, Sleep in a Sea of Stars. Yes, we could have just skipped the ranking and we didn't need to do the fake sort of there. But yes, that is well. That is it's happen- fun to ask at the top: Is X book better than Roadside Picnic? <laughs> well, okay, is Sphere better than Roadside Picnic? I'm flipping it on you. <laughs> Uh, my ranking is just that Sleep in a Sea of Stars is above Horus, mm-hmm. and Sphere is above Demolished Man, but otherwise, you know. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, so yeah, well, so, uh, I'd never read a Crichton before. I'd heard about him, obviously, because he's very famous. Um, yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, I know M-, M likes his books, or at least did as a teenager, you know. No one's reading new Crichton books, because he's dead. Uh, but reading it like so much clicked into place about a lot of the culture that i've been just you know nerd shit mm-hmm. nerd shit and weeb shit specifically uh because this is a fucking anime this sphere anime literally the most anime shit in the world <laughs> uh he literally says i'm you're not me at his persona that happens in the fucking book <laughs> uh, um i was reading this thinking you know what I should put a um, Neil Stevenson book on our list for this podcast. You should. We should do a Neil Stevenson book. Um, that's just true. I see a lot of similarities from Michael Crichton to Neil Stevenson, but Neil Stevenson just longer books. Mm-hmm. Um, because this book really hit me with um, this is 
it feels it feels kind of like oh i found out about a concept i'm gonna make a book about this concept i'm gonna explain this concept to you i'm gonna bring this thing i've i've been reading about to you and explain this idea yeah that was um, the Crichton tried and true formula i'm told for Crichton, that is i'm gonna explain Jungian psychology uh and anthro anthrocentrist uh, views of extraterrestrial, extraterrestrial, uh, extraterrestrial life. For Neil Stevenson, it's I'm going to get really, really in depth on how flight, uh, like uh, um, flight control as a profession works, and how they coordinate planes throughout the entire world. And you will read forty pages about this. <laughs> yeah, there's and so a, I could. Yeah, it's just like a, a very clear like line from one to the other to me of like oh yeah neil stevenson is also doing this but like drilling deeper into more esoteric facts to me <laughs> mm-hmm. uh yeah i mean i assume this is like a very common uh apple paperback style style of writing style right like i, I know quite was popular and i had a lot of imitators influence um mm-hmm. when i was uh reading specifically i was like feeling the missing piece of my understanding of hideo kojima like click into place <laughs> it is um, a very kojima work and specifically in form because like there's a lot of i've read and watched so many things that are just directly <laughs> in metal gear uh to the point where you know i love metal gear i love it deeply um up yeah. until three uh and like things that are literally just exactly in metal gear one-to-one are, are like every lakari book uh through up to the, like the born identity which is ripping those off um uh like gundam's in there like mecha shit's in there uh, anim- anime like Vodums is in there as well which has a and it's also doing like Escape from New York and uh, like it's, it's combining like both fucking anime sensibilities uh, and his uh, Hollywood nerd shit but the one thing that I, I didn't quite get until reading this was like <coughs> one of the things I uh, fucking adore about Metal Gear um, and I don't know how true this is of everyone is uh, I think Peace Walk is a good go-to for this is like the, the first 50 minutes of Peace Walker, and this is true of all Metal Gear games to some extent, um, but this is just a really good one. It's like, you get a piece of information, and then another piece of information is revealed, and then, like, si- the the briefing already contains six, like, complete conceptual reversals <laughs> of what you think's going on, uh, uh-huh. and the structure is just, okay, they found in the place this, and this thing was emanating at this frequency, but this frequency was only constructed uh, in the thing, thing uh, you know, that, like, information constructing a mystery uh, was mm-hmm. layers and layers, and uh, the first, like... Um, 50 pages of this book are just literally exactly a Metal Gear briefing. Like, he flies in, uh, he's, he's being formed like, oh, there's a thing on the ocean and this, and then he goes to the briefing and then the guy's like, oh, it's this, actually, and then they go down, like, actually, it's this! Uh, oh, and then, oh, it's a spaceship, oh, it's not, you know, and, oh, the Russians aren't aren't down there because, uh, <laughs> like, the part where <laughs> he realises it has to be time travel because they didn't let the Russians know and that's enough information to, like, figure <laughs> out... <laughs> like oh if it, if it was aliens you'd have let the russians know but you must know it's made for america and that's why and stupid stuff like that i'm like man and, this is great and then at the 60 percent mark everyone's like damn it they lied to us in the briefing <laughs> yes, yes also everything in the briefing was kind of a lie uh <laughs> And so, like, I adored the first half of this book. When stuff started happening, uh, I liked it a little less, but I still mostly liked it until it just, like, went off the deep end with fucking, man, those women, <laughs> those fucking well, women. Well, you see, 
Beth specifically, now that she has this power, she's always victimized herself in life and seen herself as the victim of like sexism and society. And now she has this imagination power, so she's warping reality to make it happen. It's unhinged. And the funny part is like, they're also doing this for Harry, right? Who is like a black yes. nerd. Uh, and it comes up a lot of like, he was being smart while the other kids were doing slam dunks. Like, it all racialized in its own way, problematic in mm-hmm. its own way. Um, but he never gets hit with the like, his imagination power is specifically representative of the like, imaginary sin of the like minority he represents, right? Like, mm-hmm. not that women are minority, but you know what I mean? Like, in the well-brew of the book, uh, and in best yeah. plot lines specifically, they are exploring like what having the weight of sexism on your everyday life does to you, and what it does to you just make you unable to fucking get over it, man. Oh, you're just such a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> but also, you're so hot. But also, you're like really manly and strong. But you're so you're fucking get, hot. You're becoming anyway. hotter over time. Weird. Uh, every every line about Beth is absolutely crazy. And then, uh, uh. God, what is the main character? Norman. Of course He's I couldn't Norman. fucking remember it. No, uh, Norman, Norman starts to like transform into the point man from fear. <laughs> <laughs> Norman's, so Norman is introduced, right? Because he's a 53-year-old, you know, not like a fat guy, but like he's a 53-year-old, you know, out of shape professor, right? Like right. maybe was cool back in the day, but he is uh, a, you the, know, a the guy from the Da Vinci professor. Code. He's like a Da Vinci Code guy. Yeah, and they and like they make a whole thing at the start of um, like they have to go through special procedures to bring this guy down to the ocean surface because you're not really meant to bring 53 year old guys who are overweight to the fucking ocean surface in a U.S. Navy vessel. (laughs) Generally, this is not recommended. Yeah, Um, plus the mixed atmosphere, the special atmosphere they have to breathe. And by the end of this novel. (laughs) He has somehow survived, like, 30 seconds unprotected, uh, at minimum, in freezing cold bottom of the ocean water. Twice. Um, Twice! He does that twice. He does that twice. And and then the second time, like, he doesn't even, like, pass out. He gets back into the suit and continues on his mission and makes his way back to the sphere. And I'm like, what? He became the fucking Superman. And that's before he has the powers... That's before he has the powers. Uh, it did feel a lot like um, I was. I was reading that part, and I was like, "Oh man, Soma! The parts of Soma that are good are really good." Uh, is Soma's also bottom of the ocean, right? Or is, is it space? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. The, the the sphere power. Sphere power. Um, but. Uh, yeah, so, so I, I really liked the start of it, and I I, I, I liked a, a lot of what happened after, uh, apart from the misogyny bomb. Though there were definitely bits of the uh, misogyny bomb that I was, like, going back and forth on. Like, he introduces the idea of uh, um, Beth's reaction to getting the imagination powers is her unconscious is so addicted to being a victim that she just keeps making bad things happen and taking no responsibility for it, which is, like... What the fuck? Um, mm-hmm. But then there was a moment I was like, wait, is it doing something there as he was like escaping? Um, yeah. And was it like, is that just Norman's perspective of it? 
as a way to highlight how he is unable to recognize his own super selfish, like, like dude cartoon versions of this as he's leaving everyone to die and saying they totally deserve it. Um, if he had just left her on the surface, I think I would have been not okay with, because I still think the way it's written is a bit, very shitty, but I, there would be more interpretive room for that stuff as opposed to he overcomes his shadow self, goes down and saves her while she's screaming, I'd rather die, uh, like a you know hysteric suicidal woman, uh, mm-hmm. then comes back and then ambiguously doesn't even give up the sphere power. So you made it worse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that stuff was frustrating. Yeah. Anyway, I've, I've talked too much. How, how did you enjoy the sphere? I just had a great time. I had a, it was a fun ride. Uh, I understand the, I don't know that I've ever read a, um, sort of like a, thriller or airport novel type book before because i've historically stuck to like fantasy which i'm sure does cross over with that framework sometimes but i've never read it uh i guess uh, you know what i did read all the left behind books never mind so um but like this is kind of my first exposure to that as like a grown developed human uh, it, I understand the the appeal of the books now. I like it when the books have the tension and like things happen and you're always moving toward a mystery. That's fun. Yeah. I feel the book's really good at like, it'll introduce a thing and it'll give you just enough information to feel smart protecting the next plot point, but then it'll mm. hit it sooner than you expect and introduce a different twist. Yeah. Uh. Um... Which is good. Like, it has the right pacing of that. Like, it holds holds the reveals just long enough that you usually get them before the book. You're like, man, I'm so cool. I totally knew where this was going. Uh, like, I realized it was an imagination power thing way earlier. I was like, wait, it's 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 not Harry. It's got to be him. Uh, it's no, actually, I thought it's not Harry. It's got to be Norman. Uh, no, no, no. It's got to be it's got to be Beth, right? Because like she's the one who's scared of that. But then she brings up all these like it's actually not Beth. It's you. Uh, but then it wasn't him, and then it was. And then, it then wasn't. It was, he went back into the sphere himself, uh, and, and then he so like yeah. conjures and dismisses a bunch of dead bodies to practice his powers. <laughs> so that that's another disappointing thing about the end of this book to me is that, like I said, the opening is so like focused on these bits of information and inferences you can pull out through the logic of the book uh, that creates a mystery. Uh, however. Mm-hmm. By the end of the book, you're like, please stop giving me exposition of explaining why this thing happened. I want to see them have a psychic battle. She's like, oh, because <laughs> he's like, oh, this thing and the um, uh, these bombs were built by this because they were built for destruction things. And then when they get to the surface, they spend like three pages discussing what their story is going to be. I'm like, I don't uh-huh. care what their story is going. I don't care. They're, the story's over. Why am I listening to them describe what story they will have to get away with it? Uh, the time for this kind of information density is over. I would have preferred it to focus more on like the heightened emotions at the end, um, mm-hmm. because because I, <laughs> I thought that he was going to realize that like when when he was going into to to get Beth, uh, what I assumed was going to happen was um, he would realize that. Uh, th- there would be no like she could just change reality and so can he so there's no point having a uh actual back and forth thing over the bombs um and that he instead has to like get through to her and convince her uh you know to that she isn't 
worth killing herself. I thought it was going to be like that. Uh, instead, he hits her on the head and then she betrays everyone at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, fucking women. Again, I cannot overemphasize enough uh, that side of the book. It really threatens to knock it all over. Yeah. Um, I was also at the point, at certain points during the ending, like, okay, just like, will the bombs away just like disappear the bombs <laughs> right because he made people appear it is really funny that he's like now i will turn off the bombs and he pulls the cord and they're like the bombs have now been activated <laughs> well i like that because the justification for that is like he didn't want to get rid of the bombs he wanted a reason that everyone but him died uh that's when he's fucking dark norman <laughs> dark norman dark norman um and they do realize this because they're like, wait a second, I should just be able to imagine them away. Uh, but it's because she's conscious. I can't, I can't override her like suicidal desires. Um, mm-hmm. And I just assumed it was going to go to a more like character-focused place uh, at the end uh, instead of, well, why don't we knock her out and put her on the submarine then? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I just have a deep well of fondness for this book and all of its weird dumb uh sharp edges you know what Um, this book has what does this book have for you specifically this book has got some guys it does have some guys (laughs) tell me about your guys i like harry harry's great harry's great um um yeah he's he's the uh i also really liked the um everyone getting into a fight over whether or not Hard science is better than soft science. It was really funny. <laughs> like, oh, the mind. Nothing can be objectively true about the mind. So that's weak pussy shit. Uh, we do, we're over here doing math. Uh, one of like the central theses of uh, his um, like Norman's ET crack team uh, like thesis is the different people from different like fields of study must be required to like gel and have different perspectives. And while that is technically true in that there are parts of the plot where everyone's like field of study, uh, focuses, um, like what's happening, right? Like uh, Harry realizes one thing, even Ted realizes one thing. Um, (laughs) it's, it's still actually them mostly arguing each other about it. Like the most childish petulant way. It's so funny. Um, I think the coolest, the most, like, striking um, scene is, to me, the jellyfish. Mm -hmm. Where uh, she's just out there trying to, like, look at these jellyfish, this weird weird jellyfish, and then they start, like, clinging to her, and then it just burns through her suit. And they have to inflate the suit so that it floats up to the surface to, because there's nowhere to put a body in this facility. I, I thought all of that was really cool. That was pretty cool. It was fucked up, though. People start dying, like, up. so fast. Yeah. And not, like, not not great ways to go, either. No, everyone just gets got. And they have to do this to get down to the three that matter. Uh, but I was, I was surprised yeah. to see Ted just get fucking mucked. I was like, damn, yeah. Ted. Got, he just got grabbed by that tentacle. The I think the most egregious action man scene is the part where Norman has to fend off the tentacles in the the other 
thing. It's like, oh, this is a weird, like, dishonored level where he's sneaking around trying to avoid the tentacles and like, oh, I'll use a mattress to get out of the way and now I'm gonna find the harpoon guns. Um, that was that was maybe the the most egregious part of it where I was like, okay, this is a little action-y. I didn't, didn't think that was the kind of book I was reading. You sure it wasn't when he was locked in a decompression... Like, like, chamber that got locked out of the life support and pressure and everything um, and he was choking to death with a... And somehow managed to find a tiny oxygen bottle, uh, and with the power of holding his breath and one oxygen bottle, was able to swim through freezing cold water uh, into another airlock. No, that's normal. I could do that. <laughs> uh, so, okay, I guess you could probably do that. Um, yeah, I, I just really like this book. This was a good one. This was a good pick. Yeah, no, I had I had a good time. Like I say, apart from when it got all uh, weird and. Um, uh, gender on me, and like I so said, like yeah. Harry's not free of this. I'm not saying like because he he also has a bunch of weird race stuff, but the race stuff is not as prominent as like the book is way kinder to Harry than it is to Beth. Yeah, and and like it doesn't make a point to to like make a statement about the racial part of it in that way. Um, yeah, in I the mean, way I, that like it sort of ingrains as what it says about Beth. Uh, like Harry has like loaded stuff um, with how he's like, <laughs> you know, he's the smart black guy that like mm-hmm. uh, escaped uh, the hood or whatever. And, you know, in the quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, this is uh, Michael Crichton's imaginary, not my vision of how race yeah. works in America. Um, but that's absolutely the character he's like positioned as. But it gives that a specificity that is like more respectful than 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 Beth at least because it's also it's also like about smart people in general right it's also about what if you're yeah, like a fucking fifteen year old super genius and all the yeah. jocks hate you um, it's a little bit about like what effects does it have for these like this type of child prodigy yeah. science mind who is like fundamentally like doesn't fit into the 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 uh, the life that is kind of like unfolding before them. And, like, what kinds of insecurities does that, you know, cultivate? Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it, was, it was interesting stuff. And uh, when, like, Harry is cracking under the pressure, it just doesn't feel as much like a condemnation of, like, blackness, right? In the way that right, when yeah. uh, Beth is doing it, it feels like this is a grand statement on the frailty of womanhood. <laughs> Um, which I don't know what the intent is, but just with the way both of them are framed, uh, that's just how it comes across. Uh, Harry is given mm-hmm. so much more specificity as a character. Uh, his struggles are about so much more. Whereas literally every single plot point around Beth is purely about her inferiority of her gender and like, oh, uh, I'm always overlooked by this, and I'm over. I was like, I slept with this professor who stole my work, but then everyone n- knew the he was going to steal my work so it's kind of my fault for being a slot uh, but then everyone keeps like over, like Ted keeps taking my shit and everyone knows like act, literally proven in the novel that Ted does keep taking people's shit he is being an asshole about this but it's, yeah. it's treated as like another point of evidence of like why'd you keep bringing this shit up can't you get over it uh, and then even Harry starts saying like oh you know lie down with dogs you can get fleas like Jesus Christ people um, and, and yeah. also at the beginning of, of the book there's a lot of uh, effort put in to describe her because she's like very muscular it says that she almost looks masculine and then by the end she's like this uh 
seductive vixen and like so feminine and beautiful. And it's like, wait, what ha- where what happened here? And there's Did bits the- of Yeah. There's bits of that where I was like Hang on, this is doing something interesting. Because when oh. it introduces those concepts, it's at the bit where, like, Harry's knocked out, but the hallucinations are still kind of happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, like, oh, because she just starts doing, like, hey, hey, what's up? What's up, Norman? Uh, to this <laughs> fucking, fuck? like, yeah, to this, like, 50-year-old professor guy that she just kind of knows. And I'm like, why would she <laughs> want to fuck down in the ocean in the middle of the most stressful situation in the, you know, uh, whatever. Um and I briefly thought I was doing like, wait, is this using like the protagonist inertia of like, oh, we're just going to start fucking now as a way to underline uh, the idea that like this is all Norman's subconscious making all this happen? Was Is that mm-hmm. like, and it does gesture like it's about to make that twist. Uh, and that stuff all happens directly before the like, Norman, it's you, you're doing this moment. Uh, but then that just turns out not to be true. So yeah. <laughs> I guess she was just be- becoming a weird vixen then. Unless she warped the nature of the book to make it that way. <gasps> That's just like human imagination. Human imagination could make anything like the world inside this book that you're reading. That was dreamed up by imagination. The anime levels of this book are off the fucking charts because it starts off being a plot about a specific thing uh, and like highly specific uh, information about this like mystery of a crashed ship uh, in the ocean and then ends up as a grand uh, like philosophical battle and also uh, psychic battle (laughs) uh, about (laughs) whether the power of evolution of humankind uh creates too much war to be worth it and i'm like but that's the one that's the one plot that's the one you did the one plot <laughs> this is every fucking anime ever also it's every visual novel ever, i guess because they sure do stop the book stop, stop this fucking book we are explaining Jungian psychology to you right now <laughs> <laughs> just for like uh, 30 page not that well about three pages uh, yeah. it's very funny um, we got an email about this book. We did not call for emails, uh, which was no. Foolish. But if you do, if you do have emails and you want to send them in for next time when we announce our next book, uh, what is uh, where should people email? You can send emails to exportaudiopodcast at gmail dot com. Just put anomalous readings or something like that in the subject line. Uh, yeah. We have an email here from John, who says hello. How are you? I am fine. In a 1998 interview, Michael Crichton talks about Sphere as a story where, quote, the alien would really be alien, where it would not, where it would be not human in any way. In another interview, he comes back to this idea of trying to create something inexplicable at the heart of this novel. With this goal in mind, how successful is this novel's depiction of its chosen alien? How inexplicable is it compared to the other aliens we have thus far encountered over the course of the pot? Does Sphere stand out as a first contact story as a result? Uh, uh, as always, thanks for your work on the podcast. I'm pleased to be in contact with your entities. Uh, I don't think Sphere counts as any of that, I guess. Um, Yeah, I mean, they do contact an entity, but it is not any of the entities they are contacting, if that makes sense. Like, there is something otherworldly in the Sphere that changes things, but anytime they're, like, talking to people, uh... It's or, people. like, it's people. It's all imagined by people. Um, 
which is like <laughs> it's twisted. the astronaut maybe it was all people it was always all people was. always was <laughs> um however i will say there are literal plot points lines in this book that are uh ripped out not ripped out because i, I wrote it later but like there's a screenplay i wrote like a decade ago uh that has exact like down to the minute details of plot points in this book, which I found very funny. And specifically the binary hex code stuff uh, uh-huh. in, in the context of like, how do we know how to communicate with an alien um, if our like signals aren't on the same fundamental language as them uh, mm-hmm. is, is a thing that uh, uh, I put in, in my script. And I was like, damn, that's so sick that I ripped it off from here. This is just like when I wrote a script before watching Reservoir Dogs uh, that began with people complaining about um, their uh, assigned names in uh, uh, in a heist. And the mm-hmm. guy was like, why am I porn? Uh, and uh, I promised to God I hadn't watched Reservoir Dogs at this point, which has the exact one I missed <laughs> pink. It's a very f- massively famous scene. I sent the script to people and none of them believed me that I didn't fucking know, which I guess makes sense. I also wouldn't believe them. But if I knew, I wouldn't have written the scene. Why would I? Anyway, this is decade old information at this point. I, I did this exact thing too, but with a short story about, yes. uh, 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 about um, a guy who was like some kind of psychic a bioengineered creature in a tube who made psychic contact with the daughter of the scientist who was uh, like on life support, basically, which mm-hmm. is the plot of where Mewtwo comes from. <laughs> that is where Mewtwo comes from. <laughs> That's the same story. So um, uh, that was also, a little... Yeah. While we're confessing these specific crimes, I also began um, one of my scripts with it was it was a big sci-fi war thing um as you do uh and you know what? it was specifically me i'd watched um code Geass and i loved it it's in high school and then i also watched lord of the rings like that and i was sick i was like what if you combine these and made these into one thing um and <laughs> my intro was like monologue happening uh as a big tower explodes and Australia is ruined, uh, which is how Gundam begins. It's the same fucking thing. And I wrote it in 2012. Uh, colony drop on uh, on Australia. I mean, the Australia part was canoned in, reckoned in later, uh, but that is literally, that, that, that's a formative Gundam plot point. And uh, this was me trying to rip off Code Geass. And I've laughing about this for ages. Um, that, was a, that was a good story, but whatever. It was very funny. Remember the part in Sleep in a Sea of Stars where most of Australia is just a blackened husk because of the orbital laser they had to use to kill the corrupted? I think people like killing Australia because it's a big recognizable landmass. There's barely anyone on it. Uh, And more specifically, it's like away from the West, but it's not racist to blow up Australia, right? Like, because we already colonized it. And, uh, you know, in the the imagination of people, you know... Mm -hmm. um, it is thought of as a white country, even though it is explicitly not, in the same way that America is. Uh, yes. But it is in a very different part of the world. So, like, you blow up Australia, and that's like, ah. Oh. I get why everyone goes to that as their first thought. I get why I did back in 2012 when I wasn't thinking <laughs> as clearly about these things. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, to answer the question, uh, in terms of, like, first contact stories... Is 
I'm just trying to think of our other books so far. If we had any other first, con- I guess Horace had a first contact. Horace had a first contact. Sleep and Sea of Stars is kind of a first contact. Oh yeah, I guess that's the whole plot. But is it's that? it's doing um, the uh, emergence war from Mass Effect or whatever. Yeah. No, that's Gears, isn't it? Well, what's the first contact war from the? I guess it's just called the first contact war. The Turian. It's just the the human Turian. Is it? Uh, I think it's called the first contact war in Mass Effect, but it's like the Turians have a different name for it because you know. Uh, the relay three thirteen incident by the Turians. Yes, that's how they did. It. Yes, because that's kind of what they did. He's ripping off a little in uh in Sleep and Sea of Stars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, um, man, I just I really like this book. This was fun. It's a good time. Um, I yeah, I'm, I had a great time reading it. Uh, despite the like ideological issues to pick apart, it was very readable. It goes very fast. Uh, page turner. Yeah. It's time to pick a book for next month. That's your job. Yes, it is. Please have it not be something seven hundred pages. I have two options in my head, and I'm trying to figure out which one I wanted to pitch. Okay, um, well, look up the page count and pick the lower one. Okay. I'm also reading another book next month for another podcast. Oh. Also, a space book. It's Star Trek. I've got I've got my Star Trek podcast. We've got a 482 page. Uh, yes. Or no, I don't want the Transformers wiki page on this. What? Don't worry about it. What are you giggling? <clears throat> what are you giggling? Let's what are the here? This other option is 400 pages. Okay, well, those are the same length functionally, so I guess ignore what I just said. Give me the names of the books. Give me my options. First is Hyperion by Dan Simmons. That is a good option. I'm quite interested in that. The other is a book called Vector Prime by R.A. Salvatore. Okay, we're doing Hyperion for next month. (laughs) Damn it! Uh, Because I'm reading a Star Trek book also, and I think I would kill myself. (laughs) We We're can do reading Vector, Vector Prime, Prime in, soon. We could do that in either two or one month, depending on how you want to flip it. Well, I guess Vector Prime is on the table. The gun has been set, but not, not next yes. month while I'm also doing a Star Trek book. Okay, that's fine. Then we're reading Hyperion by Dan Simmons. Uh, you know what? I'm excited for that. I've heard good things. Me too. I've also heard good things. Is that the first in a series? Uh, it is... Yes, the Hyperion Cantos. Yeah, cool. I, I don't know anything about it. I'll have a good time reading it. Um, and uh, I hope anyone reading along also enjoys. Yeah, it's got a sick cover. Uh, it does have a sick... Guy. It does have a sick... Have you... <laughs> Do you get annoyed at how bad like book covers are now? Yeah, sometimes. But also uh, I don't read modern books very much. But also part of the reason I don't read recent books is because the covers are so bad. I feel like every single sci-fi book has the same, like, it's a CG-generated fucking spaceship cover. Uh, yeah. And um, um, every fantasy book has the same, like... No, it's too... You either get, like, the uh, modern kind of um, stylized painting. Not the cool paintings of the 90s and 80s. Uh, but, like, I'm you know, like the, the art on um, the Rutherford book or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Or you get the more concept art. Uh, yeah, the co- concept art style. Or you get the like <laughs> uh, YA style, which is more like yeah. primary colors, abstract thing. 
Or um, picture of main character. I guess you can sometimes get a picture of main character. That's, that's the most boring one of all. Um, yeah, that's your, like, throne of glass uh, type. With, like, here's the main character staring at you. Um, and I get I get it. Because, like, the, the book covers and they're expensive to make. Um, and books sell nothing anyway. So, I like, I understand why book covers are all, like codified into genres but the, the sci-fi one specifically for me is like every single sci-fi book every one is here's some space and a fucking uh, computer generated spaceship stop it i can't tell any of you apart <coughs> uh, well covers are expensive unless you're christopher palini because That's true. Uh, his his newest book fractal noise which comes out the day after you're listening to this uh has an ai generated cover uh, and then somebody I- on the Reddit was like, hey, I made a real art version of this uh, and it looks way better than the AI version. And uh, I googled Hyperion. This has a way sicker cover. This is what I yeah. want. This is yeah. what I'm very clearly from the 90s. Uh, I assume I don't actually have an exact date. And you know what? Close enough. <laughs> but I'm looking at it. I'm like, damn, look, look at this fucking art. Look at this sick guy in his sick yeah. Dark Souls ass armor. But there's also a ship. Uh, but there's also like weird mushroom things in the background and it's clearly doing like a fantasy dark future thing. Um, I'm curious what this is going to be. Uh, so I'm very excited for this. Thank you. Now, some of you listening might think, oh, damn, the episode's almost over. I have to wait a whole month to hear these two buddies talk about science fiction again. No, 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 no. You don't have to wait a whole month because right now, if you go to the Export Audio Patreon and you give any amount of money, even $1, you will gain access to a bonus episode where Jackson and I watched and talked about Prometheus. Yes, like we promised last month, but it just took us a while. Um, what was that black goo? We have an answer within. Is it different from the sparkly green goo? I don't, I don't have that video community's memory <laughs> in the way that you do. I, unfortunately, just know... Uh, post-apocalyptic future, man, you throw dark, but you're in luck. So does giantbomb.com. Do you know about Shimatami Tensei games? Because I sure as hell don't. Uh, that's the one I know. Limb systems. Limb systems. We got we that. We got that. <laughs> uh, but yes, we did do the Prometheus podcast. I had a good time watching and talking about Prometheus. Uh, we're not going to be watching Sphere. I have no interest in rewatching I'm Sphere. I'm going to watch Sphere. Oh, okay, maybe I'm, we'll watch Sphere. I don't. Not prom- no, I'm not promises. saying you have to watch Sphere. I'm going to watch Sphere just for my own. Well, you fun. can watch Sphere, and you can tell me if you have come out of it wanting to have any conversation about Sphere publicly. Because if it's kind of a boring movie and we have nothing to say, then we won't be doing that. So don't look forward to this. But if there's a Sphere episode, <laughs> I guess there might be a Sphere episode. <laughs> I'm not making any promises. I think the more movie two PV. Yeah, I thought the movie might be too boring. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's so much fucking noise happening outside my window today. Hopefully uh, none of that gets picked up. I can't Anyway. Anyway. Uh, if people are tired of me but want more of you, where can they find that? They can go to abnormalmapping.com, where my podcasts are. Uh, they can also find me at twitter.com slash off where my tweets are. Uh, and you can support me at patreon.com slash abnormalmapping to listen to The Great Gundam Project. Uh, and blockbusters and void life at various tiers and that's where i'm podcasting 
You can find me on Twitter at NeitherNora, at co-host at Ashworm, Ash with an E, Worm with a Y. You can find me on other podcasts, including on the Abnormal Mapping podcast called Journal Updated, where Molly and I play video games. We just did Metal Gear, and this month we're playing Half-Life. The classic video game, Half-Life. I guess I'll have to stop playing Oblivion to do that at some point. Oh, but yeah. But also, it's Half-Life. <laughs> it's not a long video game. Um, other stuff... Yeah, uh, you can go to exportaud.io or patreon.com slash exportaudio to find the Patreon. And uh, give us some money. Like I said, we got that uh, Prometheus episode up by the time you listen to this. And uh, some other stuff in the works over there. There's also a whole bunch of other podcasts. There's like comic stuff. There's like, you know... uh, There's like a movie podcast. Whatever. But if you want my content... That's over there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, uh, Nora. And I'm so thank happy you. that I managed to avoid Vector Prime, but only for a little bit. The, we'll be, we'll be Vector Priming <laughs> very soon. I'm, you know, a more civilized age is starting to watch Rebels. I'm in the Star Wars mood. Uh, I've, it's time to go back to the old me. So we, we will be reading a Star Wars book or two this year. Uh, we will and, uh, watch Chewbacca fucking die. That's the only yes. thing I know. I don't know anything else yeah. about it. Spoilers, I I, but yeah. Chewbacca dies. I know that. I assume it's where the Vong show up. Yes. Because uh, it's the uh, NJI stuff. Um, but yeah. The new Jedi Order, which, not to be confused with the new new Jedi Order that is in development at Disney. Can they call it something different just to help us all with saying words out loud? No, they're going to call it the new Jedi Order. It's going to be about Rey. It's not going to be about the Vong, but... You said that, and you sounded disappointed, and I don't know why you sounded... Do you want them to bring the Vong in? Do you want to make a movie about the Yuuzhan Vong? I could do it. <laughs> you know what? I believe you. You can totally do it. You can make the Yuuzhan Vong movie. They should. I have a whole redesign for the Yuuzhan Vong that makes them really cool and fun, and I used them for a Star Wars RPG once. Well, uh, s- stick around for a couple more episodes of time to listen to uh, us talk about that. Yeah, um... In the meantime, keep watching the skies. That's so true. Goodbye, everyone.